Welcome to the Nerdogram Podcast. The ultimate mashup between the Enneagram personality tool and all your favorite characters from film, TV, and literature. On today's episode, we are diving into a Nerdogram book club choice, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Nerdogram Podcast. My name is Lance. My name is Kate. Hey Kate, I made you read a really big book. You did make me read a really big book. And it did come in from a listener. Uh, One of our listeners recommended Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. And as soon as that one came across, I got very excited because one, we like suggestions. And two, I really like this book. I, I have such mixed feelings about this book. Because on one hand, at the end of the day, I think she did something brilliant. I I really do. She built a world within a world, taking the actual history of the Napoleonic era, England, or Regency era, England, and then interfused a real history of magic. I love the quirkiness, the footnotes. I love the way it reads like a late 18th century, early 19th century book. I mean, it really reads like a novel set in the time period where it's, or or that was written in the time period in which it's set. And at the end of the day, the characters were really lovely. Also, (laughs) this book was really damn long and nothing happened for like 550 or 600 pages. Yes. So (laughs) this is an interesting piece, both in terms of like writing, because Kate, both of us are writers. We both engage in the craft and read each other's stuff and hope to someday share all that stuff with the world. But one of the interesting things about characterization or the creation of characters, one thing that I've always heard and we see on full display here is that if you don't have proactive characters, a significant portion of your audience will not be engaged with the story. And so there's a lot of discussion about how to inject a little proactivity and we don't see that from these characters they are not proactive things happen to them and they sort of stumble into things and then they respond and then they have to do something you know this jonathan strange gets dragged off to war and now he has to do things now he has to fight now he has to face the inconveniences uh, of a gentleman at war those are things that happen to him really there's only one character who is proactive in this the story and that is the gentleman with the thistle down hair And he's awful. He is. He's terrible. Which villains tend to be proactive. Yeah, villains tend to be proactive. They tend to be the ones who actually make But it's not even apparent that he really is a villain until halfway into the book. Well, he's just doing things according to his nature. You know, he's he's a fairy. So he does his own. He has his own motivations, his own way of saying things. But for him, and and when we get kind of his insights... It's the most obvious thing in the world, which is kind of charming. I don't think he's charming. I'd say he's charming. Like the idea and his approach to things of, well, I mean, this is, it's obvious. Like this is exactly how you would respond. Mm. We're going to crush our enemies and we're going to leave their bones in our yard. Cause why not? He is humorous. The way he talks about things. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it is, but he's talking about a celebration at lost hope where they 
throw the children like, off the tower. Yeah, yeah. children. He's like, well, we used to. It was it was much more fun when we used real children, and and so it's the way he says it. It's entertaining, uh, but also he used to throw kidnapped children off the tower just for fun. Like, not cool, man. I don't. You don't condone that. I do not. <laughs> that goes against my moral code. I will say this. I was very pleased when you text me that you were crying. Yes. So at the end, it, it did. There were a lot of tears uh, in the end. And the, I did not think there was a good chunk there where I was like, oh, this is a shift where Strange and, and Norrell are adversaries. I didn't see that coming. But then the way she brings them back together, I thought that was really well done. Also, I love I love it when uh, Strange is like, uh, you know, there's only one person who can help me kill a fairy. And Mr. Norrell's like, you know, I'm so sorry to, to tell you this, but I, I don't think I have that kind of power. And he's like, oh, no, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> I was talking about the Raven King, but you're the only one who can help me get the Raven King. <laughs> like, I love that. Now, there at the end, you read most of it, but then you watched yeah. the, the TV series. I did. I switched to the TV series. So there's no shame. It's fantastic. (laughs) However, and I didn't tell you this when you text me because I didn't want want to ruin it. It it is slightly different. Okay. Tell me what happens in the book because I stopped reading slash listening at like 20 to 25 hours. Yeah. There there's a, a slight difference in how things happen particularly like the relationship between Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is there. It is present. It's just displayed a little bit different because you're not in their heads as much. They have to depict it. So it's there. It's just shown differently. And I feel like you connected very well to how it was shown. So the yeah. spirit of that reconnection is there. Okay. That moment is is there. Not so much those words. Oh, and- I thought those words were so lovely. Yeah, I know you did. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to take that away from you without at least recording it for the, the joy of our listeners. <laughs> you didn't want to crush my dreams until we were on the air. Yeah, because I mean, we get better radio out of that. <laughs> but also I I feel like it is better emphasized in the book that Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell actually fail. Like they are not successful in what they do. They don't successful they're they're not successful in summoning the Raven King. They do summon him, but it's really the Raven King's actions. It's his things. Uh, I don't remember. Do they say in the show? Because I didn't rewatch it. Do they say that that was his spell? I don't remember. So the Raven King tells Childermas or Childermas at, at a certain point at the, at the end when he's encountering. He says, "Well, you know, you were. They think he was summoned by the spell of these two modern magicians." And the Raven King's like, "No, it's not their spells." Like they're part of my spell. Like they're yes. part of what I've been doing. And yes. and they don't realize that they're part. Like they they aren't there to succeed. It's not about them. And that's what you find out. It's never been about these two men. And and so that gets played off where they ultimately fail. They fail to bring Children Mass or they fail to bring the Raven King back in the way that they think they do. And because of that, they fail to give the powers adequately. And so they accidentally give power to Stephen Black. And that's why he's able to do what he does is mm-hmm. because they've accidentally. Right. So I feel like it downplays their might a little bit that they've sort of bumbled into something that they fully don't understand. And they kind of come to realize, yeah, we really don't know what we're doing. 
And that's when they go off into the darkness to try and explore. And so yeah. do you think that they ever make it home? Well, there is a second book. I have not read it yet. Oh, I didn't know there was a second book. Mm-hmm. I probably won't read it because I'm sure that there are another 600 pages before anything happens. I think it's shorter. It's It was one of those things that, because it, it came out in the last couple of years, I think it was like 2019 it came out. I'd been waiting and waiting and waiting, and then I missed it because everything else has happened. It just hasn't ended up in my hands. I'm looking this up right now. It's like Piranesi or something like that. Yeah. Piranesi. P-I-R-A-N-E-S-I. So I I fully intend to read that in 2022. It's it's on my list. But if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I made a post about how I'm already feeling about my reading list for 2022. (laughs) Well, if anyone has already read it, listeners, tell us what you thought about it. And maybe just DM me. And let me know if they make it home because that's all I really care about. I, and I can I can read it and let you know. Okay. I'll take one just, for the team. I just want to know if Arabella gets her Jonathan back. It's sweet that she doesn't. Sweet? Yeah. Not the word I would use. Yeah, it, it is because it's almost more endearing. He he becomes so much more aware of her in that in, in their separation than he ever was with them being together. And so there's a, there's a sweetness to that that feels like it's a healing moment for their relationship. Like they've taken a next step that they needed to take, even though they aren't physically together. I get the sense that he took her for granted. And once I think he wanted her a lot until he got her and then he got sort of complacent and took her for granted because in the beginning he's, he's going to some significant links to try to prove to her that he's worth marrying. And then he gets there and then he takes her for granted and then he loses her and he realizes, oh no, I really do love this woman. And I want to share my life with her. And and I think obligation and duty like to protect her and can't let her. It's one thing for her to die as heartbreaking as that is. And he wants to bring her back, but he really can't let go when he realizes she didn't just die. And he can't leave her, leave her there. So it's really, it is very heartwarming and lovely and sweet until the end. Cause I didn't get to see that result between them mm-hmm. or they get back together. Cause you know, I'm all about that. HEA. Were, were you uh, rooting for the new love interest when she came in in Italy? No, really? Really? Because that was the only thing driving him to do anything was to get Arabella back. I couldn't have him stop the only plot driver. <laughs> well, he didn't know she was gone. He, he just thought she died. If if I thought she was really dead, then sure, I would have been cheering mm. for him to hit it off with Lord Byron's ex-girlfriend. They weren't together. In the show, it says that she had had a, an ill-fated affair with Lord Byron and then gotten abandoned. That is not what happens in the book. Oh, it's not? Okay. Oh, so- no. It's very clear that, that she doesn't approve of Lord Byron. And there's even comments made that if they were in the same room together, they feel quite certain that she'd be safe against his wiles interesting oh man i kind of liked that she was fallen oh no she's like prim proper she's a good girl oh she is not portrayed that way in the show i don't remember that hmm. i feel like i need to wear a hester Prynne letter on my shirt today because i didn't finish the book for book club <laughs> there's no shame it is a massive book i feel a lot of shame i mean i do 
did you did you have seven hours left and binge watch a show that amounted to probably about 10 or 15 hours sure you know you did it was 33 hours thank you very much you made it what 25 in close i'm i was somewhere between 20 and 25 i could look it up on my audible but i just kept falling asleep i was so bored and i i would my mind would wander and i'd be thinking about something else and then i'd have to rewind it for you know five or ten minutes to figure out what i'd missed and it was it was just not working for me and i feel terrible about that i think people are really convinced to want to listen to this episode Right. It's just a really long ass book with not a lot of plot until the last when you when I did feel absolved of some guilt when you say, yeah, the last hundred pages is where everything really happens. I'm like, this is a three hundred and thirty thousand word book. And the last it has to be that way. You know, anytime you take a real world and you have to layer it with something fantastical, you got to put some work in to make that believable. So he she had to put that work in and she masterfully does it. It charmingly does it. This is, I think, one of those books that you you either love it or you just don't. It, there's there's no in between because as our Instagram showed, people were passionate about their like stick it out. It's this is a great book. You, you just gotta suck it up, Buttercup, and keep reading. I think that had it been arranged a little differently, hmm. it would have gone better. Like if you had all the same stories but had them organized in a slightly different way if we hadn't perhaps met a Jonathan sooner. Mm. Because, I mean, there's like, you're 20 oh. to 30% of the book before you really meet Jonathan Strange. Oh, yeah. It's like 200 pages before he shows up. Yeah. So, I mean, that just felt too late for me for one of the main characters, one of the title characters. I feel like it could have been the timeline of the story. It felt like you get all of Norrell's background. And then you get all of Jonathan's background and then they come together. If you had done a chapter with Norrell and a chapter with Jonathan and a chapter with Norrell and a chapter with Jonathan, and it would have, I think, been plotted better or would have had better pacing. Well, just think of it like when you go to the wedding and you see the running video beforehand that they've got up of all of the kids uh, of the couple growing up throughout the years as they get closer to meeting each other. Just think of it like that. Yeah, but those things take 10 minutes. (laughs) You're holding my attention for for 20 hours versus 10 minutes. Which we've displayed. We did not hold your attention for 20 hours. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. You don't have to apologize. We're good. Our friendship is stable. (laughs) There's no threat to that on whether or not you love Jonathan Strange or Mr. Norris. I was genuinely worried that you'd be mad at me. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. I don't need you to love it to be friends. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm relieved. I mean, I'm certainly not making some other recommendations that I want to, but you know, fine. <laughs> well, thanks for your grace. You you all didn't hear me gush about a book for like 20 minutes before we hit record that I just binged in, in a few days. I love hearing the whole plot of books because then I can decide whether or not I want to read it. I knew you weren't going to read it because it doesn't end happily. It ended absolutely does not end on a happy note. And I knew that that was not going to be your thing. Oh yeah. It's not. I, I like a good redemptive thing at the end. There's no redemption here. Everyone gets yeah. worse than when they started, but not the case in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. We are all it, over the map. It was, <laughs> it was a satisfying ending. I will say that I was, I was moved. I was satisfied with the ending. 
me with my obsession with the happily ever after. Yes, I would have liked to see them come home and get that smooch and the happy ending and then Arabella and Jonathan go have magical babies. That would have been my preference. But it's not a romance novel. So you kind of have to let go of some of those. We just get primed sexual tension because you know Mr. Norell's skulking around the corner. So there's only so much that they can do. (laughs) That's why they haven't had babies yet. I mean, would you, if your teacher was like literally within earshot, like a, and magically has to stay that close? <laughs> yeah, that is a little weird. It's gonna put a little bit of strain. I mean, that that pushes the roommate thing to a to a certain definable moment. Yeah, I'm not sure. Never mind. I don't want to. Uh, I don't need to make this about me. So <laughs> please send Kate links to your Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell uh, romance fanfic that oh you've written because <laughs> we we want to know about it. I read. So I read. I might. I might have already said this. I think I told you, but I read a really great series by Olivia Dade. Uh, the first is spoiler alert, and then oh, rats! What's the second one? Anyway, I'm blanking on the title of the second one. They're both really good, but the characters all write fanfics. And in the first one, they're actually the actors. It's like a Game of Thrones-esque series and the actors hate what the showrunners have done with it. So they start writing fanfic as their outlet for like fix it fix. Uh And it is so good. It is so good. And so if anybody is a fanfic person who also likes romance, you should check out Olivia Dade's new series. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've not read a lot of fanfic. I've read some good stuff. And then I read this one Harry Potter one. Oh my. Um, who was, who is it about? Uh, it was the author put themselves in the Harry Potter world okay. and has sex with everyone. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of characters in Harry Potter. He has a very, extensive experience of of hogwarts that i was not prepared for <laughs> and that was part of the reason why it was sent to me they were like you got to read this and uh yeah i used to you write put the work in <laughs> harry, dear harry author Jordan. i wrote uh lily and james harry potter fanfics i mean i didn't like post Ooh. them online or anything i didn't i wasn't part of a community to really know what that was i just loved harry potter and i wanted to write about lily and james so i would write little short stories do you still have these i do not i don't have anything that i wrote until the last five years i was i was really hoping we were going to do like a big push like if we got so many listens or so many things that you'd you'd share one of the short stories but the one i really wish i had there are two so both of them i see where i was a, a little romance writer even when i was 12 i loved the movie the patriot And I loved the Dear America movies. I think I talked about this on our Patriot episode where I wrote a Dear America book that was like set in the Revolutionary War, but she had a boyfriend named Gabriel, which now I have a son named Gabriel. So that's a little weird. I would never use my kid's name as a hero in my book ever, (laughs) ever, ever. But uh, I wish I had that. And it was just in a spiral notebook. I wish I had that one. And then I wrote another short story in ninth grade about a mafia princess who fell in love with her bodyguard getting into some dark romance there <laughs> i guess so i a term of which i learned 20 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> oh well there's another book that i wanted to do a shout out for i've been reading 
a book by Helen Palmer, who's big in the narrative tradition of the Enneagram. And it's on Audible. And I just put Helen Palmer into a search on my on Audible. And what came up was the Enneagram and its workshop. And what's really neat about this is I think it might actually be a recorded workshop. It's so smooth. Like it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of back and forth going on. It sounds like a lecture, but it sort of has that feel that she's in a room. And then sometimes there are snippets when she's talking about each of the nine types of people of that number, sharing their personal experience and her asking them questions. So it's a recording of when they were doing a panel and it has been really great. I've been enjoying it. There's not a ton of new information if you're somebody who's really well-versed in the Enneagram, but it has a different perspective. So for example, she puts a, a larger emphasis on the passions than what the last few books I've read have done and and the virtues and, and leaning into the virtues. And I have found just a few different little nuggets here and there, like, oh, I didn't know this about a type three or, oh, I hadn't heard it phrased that way about the type six. And, oh, this is really helpful and interesting. So I, I think it's great. There's also information about the subtypes on there. So if you're somebody that has been interested about the subtypes, but you haven't really dug into that yet, she includes discussion of subtypes with each of the nine types. So uh, the Enneagram Workshops by Helen Palmer is a great book if you are new to the Enneagram, or even if you're someone who's been studying the Enneagram, but wants to dive into the narrative tradition, highly recommend it. It's a good recommendation. You and I have been talking Palmer over text as you've hit nuggets of wisdom and awesome things. And then you send me a text like, hey, Tips on how to be healthier in your number. This is going to be awesome. Or things that you've learned about your type. You know, that, yes. that's been really cool. Um, I am definitely adding it to my list of things to check out. And it's short. It's, I think, about nine or 10 hours on Audible. And it, I've been listening at like 1.3 speed, which shaves an hour or two off. And it doesn't feel like it's too fast. Yeah. See, I, I got to go for like 35 hours to feel like I've got my credits worth. <laughs> you can't spend a credit on it unless it's a really long fantasy book with no plot or no, no plot until the 80% mark. I can't. I was going to tell a really funny story, but I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> oh, why? Why? No, no. This is, this is one that probably should be recorded. So okay. anyways, I think this episode needs a, a lightning shot in the arm to, to get magicked into place and so we should start with a lightning round that because there's so many characters in this book and we can't do them all justice yeah there are tons of characters and really fun and interesting characters and probably the most weird of them is vinculus Ooh, vinculus he's what, what a magician think? should be i mean he's a book literally and a, a magician and a bigamist he's a lot of things a scoundrel a swindler Vinculus is one that will take years of study, which is why we get the book ending with him being studied by the magicians who get disbanded from the beginning. So what Enneagram type would you say Vinculus is? You know, he's definitely an aggressive type. I don't type him as a three. Mm -mm. So we had some discussion earlier. Is he a seven? Is he an eight? He drinks deeply of the world. He's got multiple wives, all of which seem to be unaware of him. He's very fond of Jen. He is sort of always on the go. 
he, he just kind of goes out and tastes the world and he has such a demeanor about him and how he's he's almost sarcastic and, and funny about the way he approaches things, but he's also brutally honest. So he tells it exactly like he sees it. And then he just moves on and, and he knows he has a purpose and he does it. And then once he does it, they murder him. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a seven. I'm very happy with a seven. I, I would stick with a seven. Well, there we go. That was quick. So what do you think about Lady Pole? Well, she's a little tricky because we see the world acting upon her, not her actions. She is sick in the beginning, then dead, then enchanted, and then just really, really angry when she comes out of the enchantment. And while she's enchanted, she seems like she's mad. She says lots of things that aren't really coherent. So with that caveat, I kind of think she feels like a nine. In the beginning, we see her as someone who blends into the background. She's not someone who grabs everyone's attention. She is a person who's interesting and knows a lot, but she isn't in your face about it. You kind of have to dig into conversation with her. But then we also see her really explosive anger at the end when she is fed up. And all these men who, for their own ambition, sold her and sacrificed her. And that's wrong. And she's tired of being acted upon. And she's tired of being pulled to everyone else's agenda. And she's just had enough. That, to me, feels like a nine who's hit their breaking point. I think you nailed it. We don't get a lot with her. But I think well, from what we see, a nine sounds right. What about her husband, Sir Walter Pohl? So I think if we were... When we were talking about it, he's definitely not an aggressive type. As much as we would say, well, to rise to his level of, of politicking, he would need to be a three, right? He'd, he'd have to know how to read people and do those things. It's British politics. It works a little differently. He seems much more fear-oriented, but he's also very loyal. He's loyal whenever Norell starts doing things that are not okay and are kind of inappropriate. He doesn't want to bring Norell in in the first place because he's nervous about what people are going to think and say. He wants to protect the institution of the government. Like He's always oriented towards these sorts of things and say, well, I'm not sure if we should be doing this. And then he doesn't act or he sort of acts or he, he half acts, but he only acts in so much that he doesn't have to take the blame for anything. But he is loyal to his friends. He's loyal to Jonathan Strange. Um, he is loyal to Norell in many ways whenever, and he's loyal to his wife. When she shows up and tries to shoot him, most of us would not be like, well, let's make her quietly go away. One, that's a very British thing to do <laughs> from, from higher up. But there also is a sense of loyalty. He doesn't allow her to be harmed. He doesn't allow, he just makes a way for her. It's the wrong call, but he does it. So you haven't said a number. I didn't. I thought I said yep. six. Sorry. I think he's a six. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a six too. He he does seem like there's fear underneath there and some mm -hmm. anxieties. And he doesn't seem to be trusting, particularly trusting of himself. He's an institution guy. I think mm -hmm. you're right. He's a six. Runs off to the ministers anytime he has a question mm -hmm. about things. What about Secundus? I think Secundus feels like a nine to me. He is someone who is easily pushed around by others and drawn into the agenda of others. But when he feels like he needs to do the right thing, he will. 
like he'll hold that line. He has a sense of right and wrong and he will go to it. He won't compromise himself. Uh, and, and that to me feels like a nine who can merge, but has a limit. Mm-hmm. And he's so earnest and being earnest is something that always feels like a nine or a one trait to me. Yes. And ultimately it's because he gives in so often that makes me think he's probably the nine, not the one, even though there's, he pushes back initially whenever they're in Yorkshire and, and everyone is being made to sign the, 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 the paper. He says, I'd very much like to do it. I don't want to sign the paper. So that was, there was a little bit of backbone there that we don't see the rest of the book. The rest of the time, he just sort of tries to do things for his, the love of magic. And then Mr. Norell comes along or sends children mass along to, to knock him down and go, no. And he says, well, no, okay, I guess, I guess I won't open a school. I guess I won't do this thing for magic. I guess I won't write this book. Okay. Well, is it okay with Mr. Norell if I open up a madhouse? Is that, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. But he is ultimately like, he's one of the few magicians who actually gets things done. He recognizes what's happening. He sees the magic. He understands that there's powerful things that are happening to lady pole yeah i like i like him he's a likable guy he is he's one of the only characters that i liked early on i'm sorry i came Norm- to like some of them that i didn't like much in the beginning normally i'm making snide comments about characters and you're giving me mean looks that is not the case tonight all the unhappy looks <laughs> well, what about honeyfoot I think Honeyfoot would probably, and this is going to be pretty surface level because we don't get a lot of Honeyfoot, uh, probably a five. He doesn't have a lot of energy for things. And so it made me think five or nine. I don't think he's a nine. He's, he just feels like a five. He doesn't have anything to do. He just kind of wants to know stuff and he wants very much to be known as part, as part of this field. You know, he wants to be a good magician, but he just sort of mopes around wanting the attention, but passing it off to secondus because he signed the agreement. The reason I think he's a five is because after Norrell's display at York Minster and he loses the right to be a theoretical magician, he's kind of okay with it because he ends up getting really interested in how one of the statues talked about witnessing a murder and he's determined he's going to solve the murder. And so he has a new thing to study and put his mental energy into and his research skills into. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that feels like a five to me. Well, and it's funny that he's delighted whenever he gets the no to dig up the paving stones. He's like, this is fantastic. It'll be years in court before this gets resolved. <laughs> <laughs> what about some of our less ideal characters? What do you think of Draw Light? Oh, I kind of wish that this was one you had to answer. (laughs) I'm not so sure about him. He's selfish. He's weaselly. He is conniving and suck up a liar. I don't really have anything good to say about Draw Light. I guess I would say three, but I don't know that I feel good about him being a three. That's fair. I feel like he's in the fear, though. He's Mm. not a five. No. And so I would probably place him at a six or seven because he he seems to be oriented reacting against the fear until he just can't, until it's right in his face. And he's terrified for good reason. 
he doesn't feel like a seven to me because sevens tend to become the center of attention, but they are themselves the center. They don't have Mm. to lie or kiss up or create a reason for other people to notice them. And they don't even necessarily need to be noticed. It's just sort of the byproduct of them being the big personality, fun and joyful and bright person that they are. He seems like someone who he wants that attention. He wants to be seen as someone who's important, someone who has access to more important people than himself. He is very jealous when other people get close to to Norrell. He and LaSalle really want to control other people's access to him, which seems like a, a power play. That can seem, actually, this is a deviation, that can seem two-ish to me in a really unhealthy way. If he's, is he seeking, I don't think he's seeking love though. I think he's seeking perhaps admiration, but it could also just be security because we, we know later he's in debt. He needs to fund a lifestyle, a certain kind of lifestyle, a certain kind of image. I think he, he's seeking more security than he is seeking admiration. And the way he cultivates that is sort of by always looking correct, by being tied to the latest fashions. Did you get to the section in the reading where he's seen by Dr. Graysteel? It's Possibly. when they're in Italy. And he sees draw light and we get this really strong description of draw light. And it's a person who at first glance appears to be dressed in the finest fashion, but upon closer examination, you realize that all of it has been faked and, and he, mm. he really doesn't have the means. Everything's right. threadbare. He's got fake stuff that'll look similar at a glance to mm. someone who's very foppish. Um, but it's a sense of, again, I feel like it's a sense of security for him mm. and he's always hyper vigilant of the dangers to himself. That's, that's his He's not envious necessarily. He's it's kind of like hoarding in a way. He's but not really. He is very aware of danger. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm content with the six. Yeah, I could do a six. What about Lascelles? So I think he is definitely a three. He's definitely in the aggressive type. He gets a comeuppance, and we are all very happy about that. I love how he, his end happens. It's so poetic. I I love him becoming the champion um, of of that fairy castle. And so the way that he understands political circles, he understands social circles, he understands how to attach himself to the right people at the right time. Mm -hmm. He pretends like it doesn't matter. You know, I always make a point of never loaning anyone money, or I always make a point of never giving anyone advice. That is all about show and power plays. And he does it well. That's why his house is full of these paintings that have been curated and they're always changing because he understands how to move with the times. He he understands that now is an era of magic. And so he quickly becomes the editor because he knows what people want to read and how to excel at that. He just, everything he does, he sort of moves up in it and his aggression leads him to murder, draw light and to, to do any number of horrible things because he's willing to break the rules or take shortcuts to get where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. What about the gentleman with the thistle down hair? This is another one that's really tough for me. 
I gave you all the hard ones. No. Well, he's not human. So does the Enneagram apply to fairies? That's a, a question mark for me in general. If you answer that, I think that could be a great book on the Enneagram. <laughs> Enneagram and the Fae. And the Fae, yep. Uh, and no one could argue with me. I'm sure they would, all the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would, right? I, I think he could be an eight. He's very aggressive. He knows what he wants. He goes after what he wants. He doesn't really care what people think about him. He is a bit vengeful. He does not relinquish control. He can be, when he has a favorite, he can be very giving and generous to that favorite. And eights do have a softer side. I could also see him as a four, which doesn't seem a whole lot like an eight, except that they're both very intense and can be inconsiderate of others. He also has a very particular aesthetic that he goes after. And that look is very important to him. I'm not sure that that's as clear or if that comes through as much in the, in the book as it does in the film adaptation. I felt like I still sensed it in the book as well. What do you think? I could see the eight more so than the four. A lot of that ties to the aggression, but it's the, to go back to our Encanto episode, it is the storm that comes and then passes. So when he's angry, he is in, he's full of rage and he he does the things. But Stephen is very adept at deflecting it. And once he's exploded, he's like, okay, we've moved on. I, I've threatened to murder all of the magicians. And now I done it. You know, I, I threatened it. I raged. Okay, Stephen, let's go to a dance. Or Stephen, let's go to this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, eights, they don't hold back their their emotions. They express them very, very strongly. And then they've expressed them. They've got them out there. Yeah. We're moving on. Anger. Yeah, at least their anger. So I, I would be happy with an eight for him. As much as we can type him not being human and being really about himself. He is so egotistical. Um, that makes it difficult to do typings. Well, this is a fun lightning round. Do you feel like it prepped you for us to do a, a rundown of the remaining five characters? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the characters that we have a little more data on yeah yeah let's talk about arabella strange okay do you think she could be a one maybe so the some of the things that that she looks like a one she is very concerned about what is right and proper she has a strong sense of that one of the things early on in the book that made me consider the possibility of her being a one is that she gives the perception to jonathan strange that she expects a lot of him and that there is a proper way that he ought to be caring for the people who live on his lands and already in his head, he's hearing that critique that she's going to have for him. And she's very concerned. And this is the thing that gets him into magic is that she doesn't want him to be idle. She wants him to be working towards something. So when I saw that, I was like, Ooh, that sounds a lot like a one. She's very dutiful. She's a good number two in a number of situations. She does the thing that no one else wants to do, even if it's uncomfortable. So in terms of Lady Pole, everyone is content to sort of forget about the crazy lady living in the house. She gets ignored, but she doesn't. She goes back. She befriends her. She cares. And she spends her time um, offering that friendship because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. She also has a bit of a temper. It's referenced at various points. And 
it's it's there. I don't know that we've seen enough of her to say, okay, you know, her temper is part of her, or it's always underlying in the surface, or it's masking some form of grief. We don't get enough time with her to, I think, really do that kind of work. But I think it might be there. It'd certainly be worth prodding. I don't know. What do you think? I think she could be a one for all the reasons you just said. For similar reasons, I think she could be a two. Mm-hmm. So twos are also going to be really concerned about how others are cared for, in particular, that the people you have responsibility for are cared for, the people in the estate. She is comfortable uh, coaching others on how they ought to behave in a given circumstance. And twos can, <laughs> can be that. Twos tend to be, whereas ones can be a little more direct in their expectations, twos try to wheedle you into doing what they think you ought to do. So they have a different tact, but she's still really compassionate because he went into the meeting, or this is early in the book, he's going into it expecting her to be full of criticism and he leaves. And there's some commentary that she was actually just really kind and sincere and wasn't going to chastise a person whose father had just died. Uh, so I, I liked that little, little thing about him. We do see her temper and especially her temper comes out when her husband is doing things that are unsafe or put him at risk and therefore their relationship at risk. She doesn't feel like Jonathan is is as protective of their marriage as he is of his apprenticeship. And I could see a, a two going to an eight in that kind of circumstance and having that kind of anger. But here's the reason I don't, I think she's more one than a two because when Lady Pole asks her to tell her husband something. And then Sir Walter Pole says, well, don't say this to your husband. She has this real strong moral dilemma about it. And a two would not. A two would just go home and tell their husband. Like twos are not great at being secretive and can be a big gossips. Even uh, Richard Rohr said this, and I don't remember where I read it or heard it. But he said that a two should be depicted with a really large tongue because they're always wagging their tongue <laughs> and are rarely discreet, which I I felt, you know, personally attacked. It feels like yeah. a really harsh comment. I mean, if we were to take a part of a person and make a bigger version of it to depict, like, uh, what would we do with that with all the Enneagram Right, types? I know, right? Uh, but also kind of true. So <laughs> I I think that I think she's most likely a one. I lean there as well. And my issue with the two, that was a great catch. That that tension was a great catch. I had not thought of that. For me, it was the neglectfulness of Jonathan Strange. And I realized in that time, women did not have the social mobility to deal with or walk away from a neglectful situation. That being said, she's supportive, even though he's neglecting her. And I think a two would have gone to an eight at some point and said, hey, um, there's a thing we have between each other that needs addressing. Uh, eventually, a two would get there. Yes. And a two would get there a lot faster uh, than a lot of spouses. Twos, mm-hmm. I think, are some of the most loving people, but also some of the most needy people. Mm. And a two can 
love you like nobody else can can serve you and care for you and fight for you and all those good things. But boy, you better meet that too with the same kind of devotion or you will hear about it or your two will find lots of passive aggressive ways to make sure you know that they're not feeling loved and appreciated. Yeah. And you get a sense of some of that resentful anger in her about it because that's part of her resolution is one. It, it is a problem. <laughs> it's not okay. How Jonathan Strange is de- treating her, but beyond that, she comes to, to, they come to an understanding and she can put her feelings to the side like ones do. Um, so do you think we need to continue around the circle? I don't think she's a three. I don't get a sense of her being a four. We see her aware of danger, but you know, that's pretty reasonable stuff. You just decided your husband decided to go walking behind the mirrors. That might be concerning for any number of us, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's probably not a safe place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one knows where you are. No, you know, it's, he didn't take his cell phone. He didn't do any of the things, you know, can't even text you when he gets there. Um, I don't get a sense of her being a seven. An eight, nine, not just no. I don't feel any of those. Even with the the worry piece, when he does things that aren't safe, or even when he's going to the peninsula, mm-hmm. and she's not crazy about that, it it comes across. She's not anxious. She's angry, mm. and I think that's a key difference. Mm-hmm. And it's it's rooted in fear for both. I mean, any one of any number is going to be worried about their spouse doing something that is physically unsafe but how does it come through and for her it's anger and she gets angry at his friends for goading him on i love that i love that scene when they're really uncomfortable and they're like um what do we do they're fighting uh how do we how do we exit like what's what's the way to get out of this yes i love that too and if you've ever been in that situation where your friends your couple friends are like fighting and you're like we gotta go But they're just so polite that they can't just walk out. They get sucked into the argument themselves. Yeah, it, that's a great, great chapter. Well, so what I'm do you think? About- to- oh, okay. sorry, I'm jumping all over you. No, just say I think that we we've done good work in landing on Arabella as a one. Yeah, I'm happy with that. So what about dear Stephen Black, the nameless king? Spoilers. It's difficult to me because there are so many ways in which he's really not permitted. Mm. to be himself and he's been conditioned to be obedient to his the people who hold power over him to me it's harder to see what's happening underneath because there's so much false duty of of the servantship of the essentially a, an indentured slave yeah i i think that's fair but i also think part of that is him so i was thinking of him in terms of the harmonics he definitely falls into the competency. Oh, yes. So yes. But do that, that. We can rule out a whole bunch of numbers doing that. Yeah. Well, competency would be a one, a three, and a five. So I don't see him as a five. He is way too industrious. Part of that is he's a servant in the time, but the guy never stops. He is constantly on top of things. I think he's actually right. more like a one in that. He. Well, an argument could be made for the three. So let's talk about the one first, and then we'll come back to the okay. three. So one of the things that makes me think about the, the one is his coaching aspect. He has a very high standard for those that, that he works with, and that continues beyond the servants under his care. 
when he goes and with the the man, the gentleman with the thistledown hair, and they go to Jonathan Strange's house as he's moving in, and Jonathan Strange bumbles his way through. He hears them talking, and he thinks it's the people in the house next door, and he mm-hmm. calls to his servant, and the servant just sticks his head in the room and says, yes, sir, what do you want? And Stephen is horrified. He's so upset. He's very angry that anyone would act. That is not how this is done. That is not proper. If this were to happen in the house that I cared for, this would be corrected. This would not mm-hmm. happen again. That felt like a one to me. Um, he also has a sense of right and wrong. He feels trapped. And, and that's something that ones can feel is they can feel trapped and in situations. And that causes them to respond in ways that, that they aren't happy with. He blames himself for some of the behaviors of uh, of the man of the gentleman with the thistle down hair. Um, part of this real. He understands that he was just part of a hanging, a murder, and he is a black man in a place where that's not going to be safe for him. He understands that the danger to himself and that, mm-hmm. but he feels that sense of anger and guilt about his own inactivity. But what could he have done? He he was powerless in these situations, but he still takes that and he puts it on himself. I can see that he has the feel of a one in a lot of ways. I can also see him being three-ish, the workahol tendent, workaholistic. That's not a word. Workaholic tendencies. There workaholism. we go. Workaholism. Yeah, I was struggling to find words. I don't there. know if that's a word either. I just. I think it, it is. There. I think it is workaholism. Three is also like a one struggle to stop working, but for different reasons. A one feels like they need to be useful. And then if they're not like doing good in the world, that they're not a worthwhile, like that they they don't deserve their own existence almost. Whereas a three has to keep going because if they don't produce, then there's what, what are they apart from what they produce, apart from what they do? One of our Instagram followers made a really good distinction between a one and three, though, when we were talking about Monica from last week, that why are they doing it? Why are they doing the right thing? Is it because they want the approval for having done the right thing or because they just have to do the right thing? Do you think Steven needs other people to know he's doing the right thing or does he just need to do it for himself? I think he does it for himself. He obviously can't tell anyone the good things that he does and keeping the gentleman with thistle down hair in check. But there are any numbers of number of things that he does that he just does. And it goes unnoticed and he does it because it's the right thing to, to do. It's what's supposed to happen. I think that's the, the key is it's what's supposed to happen or how things are supposed to be done. And he is caught in a hard situation. I, I felt for Steven in that he really was powerless. I mean, these these fairies are, compared to a human, practically omnipotent. And he's trying to mitigate the damage that this man works in the world and on people that he cares about. And yet, through that relationship, he ends up being complicit in things that he knows are wrong. And he helps do things that he ought not to do. And not always through his own volition. Some, I mean, sometimes it really is out of his power, but he doesn't just tell him to shove it, just kill me or let me go. I wonder, I, it seems to me that, well, I'm processing here. I could see where a one would say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be a party to 
any of this. What you're doing is wrong. He would say, what you're doing is wrong. And say, I'm not going to help you, whatever the consequences would be. I can see where some ones would do that. But I can also see where a one might say, how do I hold him back? If I can't stop him, how do I limit the damage that he does? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would be a horrible moral compromise that they would hate themselves a little bit for. And I think we see Stephen really being unhappy with himself and bearing that burden, but he stays, he maintains that relationship, that service to the gentleman with the thistle down hair so that he can, in his own way, minimize the harm he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could see him. I could see him as a one. Yeah. I'm happy with that. We're just going to type them all as ones. So we're two for two. <laughs> but now we're going on to children mass and I'm not sure children mass is the one. No, he gets the job done no matter what the cost. So let's, do you want to talk about that? Or do you want me to start off with, with the one with children mass? Go ahead. So children mass, as I just said, doesn't care about the rules. He he goes against laws. He goes. He does some pretty shady things. He hangs out with shady people, but he falls in the competency group, which is such an interesting thing as I think about it now, because this story is very much about two magicians who do a lot of amazing things, but are really incompetent if we think about it. We really find out they are not competent at what they do, but so many other characters in this, the ones who are not front and center, who don't have the book named after them, actually the really competent ones and children mass is one of those things he is a man of the world he understands how to get things how to make things happen he pressures he manipulates he asks questions he he does all the things so he definitely for me falls in that that competency i i don't see him as a one no because he's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done yes he's a little too comfortable with the shady side of the world and he understands vinculus mm-hmm so when Norrell is all butthurt over Vinculus having the audacity to do magic in London, Childermass is the one who deals with them. And he's like, we don't, we don't need spells for this. Like, I can just handle this guy. And he can handle him because he gets him. Because he knows mm-hmm. what, makes him, what makes him tick. And Childermass is actually one of my favorite characters. I like Jonathan Strange a lot, too. The children mass might be my my favorite character in this book. I don't believe he's a two. He's too rude. <laughs> he's a meanie. He doesn't need people to like him, love him, appreciate him. Uh, but I agree that he's in the he's in the, the the competency pattern, and I I really think he's a three. I do too, and he is fair. I mean, let's talk about that when we talk about justice. When we talk about things, he does strive to be fair. In terms of his duties, he is the one who convinces Norell to allow Secondus to not sign the paper. Uh-huh. He says he, he knows how to talk to Norell and say, someone who can recognize your greatness needs to be your John the Baptist. As much as Draw Light takes that, that identity, it's really Secondus who does it. He doesn't want Vinculus harmed because that, that would not be correct. He can get rid of him. He continually works against draw light and especially um uh lasalis sales sorry all right and 
because it's wrong. And that ultimately creates that break. That is a heartbreaking moment where he has served so faithfully and he has worked so hard and he can, you can see that Norell is going with the Viper mm-hmm. instead of his true friend and allows him to be cut like that. Oh, that's, that's so rough when he cuts up his face. Like that's such a, a raw moment and he just leaves and he does it. So he, he's a good man. He really is. But he'll cut corners. He will. That one of the things that is very early, this is in the first two or three chapters. There's a description of Childermas that he's the kind of man who is used to being around people who see themselves as his betters. And he resents it because he knows that he is more capable and more intelligent and better at his work than any of the rest of them. And that felt, I started suspecting he was a three from that line that he knows they're not better than him in any way that matters, except that he will live in a world forever that will see a gentleman as mm-hmm. being his superior. And ooh, that just eats at him because threes love a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. They want to be seen but for their merit and they will work their butts off for that. And he does that. He works hard. He, and yes, he can do some unscrupulous things, but he doesn't violate his own moral code. And when he starts to think that Norrell is doing some things that are wrong, he doesn't just ignore that. He starts digging and asking questions and trying to figure things out. Well, and there's that interesting scene where Childermas and Jonathan Strange have the conversation and, and Jonathan Strange is saying, leave Norrell. He does not appreciate you. He does not recognize you there will be none of that with us. Come be my pupil. And he doesn't, he says, I don't want to be a pupil. He's like, fine, come be my equal. We will work to this. We will share the glory. We will do all of this together. And I think that was the more tempting moment for Childermas to to leave Norell. But his comment back, one, speaks of loyalty. It speaks of sort of an honor for him. Like he's an honorable man, Mm -hmm. but also speaks quite a bit to his sense of, pride and wanting to be recognized he says one of you will beat the other and whoever wins i will take their place Hmm. it's it's a neat comment but it's also a little bit like a ooh, no i want to be my own thing and when that happens i'll definitely take adopt the there should be two opinions on magic but i will take the lead on one of them whichever Mm -hmm. of you wins i will take the lead and he doesn't he doesn't in the end he takes the side of the king. I kind of love that about him. And I love, this is maybe not as obvious for most Americans. Um, I'm an Anglophile. I think you are a bit of an Anglophile too. But this tension between the, the Londoners, the Southerners, and the North, there really is a pretty significant cultural difference between the Northerners and England. And I love that we feel that. There's this sense of like, we're in the North, we're a little bit tougher. We have the old ways, uh, not as obsessed with newfangled fashions and philosophies. We have our culture and our heritage and that matters to us. It's who we are. We're hardier. And, you know, of course the, the Southerners look down on the people from Yorkshire as being stodgy and old fashioned and not, not with it. Country bumpkins. Country bumpkins. Yes. <laughs> But the Northerners don't care because <laughs> they, they think they're better. So I love that that we see that cultural tension where 
his final loyalty is to to his the king, the Raven King, the old ways. It's it's his heritage. He knows who he is mm-hmm. and where he comes from. And I just think that's so wonderfully done. Oh, I do too. It's it's such a there's so many bright moments. We can gush all day about this because I will. <laughs> Are, do you feel like there are any other types that you want to talk about with Children Mass? Are you pretty happy with the three? I could see Children Mass as as an eight mm-hmm. who has a tight rein on his temper because not all eights are super explosive all the time. Some eights know exactly who they are and they don't need to display their power because they're so confident in their power. And I can see Children Mass being that sort of person as well. But ultimately, I think he's got a bit of that vanity and that desire for recognition that puts puts him over into the the three more than the eight for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I see more of the three. Well, are you ready to talk about Jonathan Strange? I am. I love Jonathan Strange. I he's really like my him favorite too. character. He's a very endearing character. So do you think Jonathan Strange is a one? No. Say more. He does not have an internal sense of direction, especially when he's young. He's just kind of wandering around. He's not committed to anything. He starts one thing and gets bored and moves on to something else. He's not particularly altruistic. I think he's a good man. I don't think he's he's a bad man, but he he doesn't feel burdened to right the wrongs of society. I don't think he notices. <laughs> no. And he doesn't like rules. He, do, he doesn't like all of Norrell's rules about magic. He wants to be free to explore and to go where the magic takes him. And as you and I discuss often, that ones really like rules. Yeah. Three to four years of study plans. Oh, my goodness. You all don't know this, but she was teasing me about oh, a set of rules that I had on my reading plans for the year. <laughs> Before we did this. He doesn't let him read himself read the books he wants to read until he's read the books he ought to read. I mean, I do read the books I want to read. They just have to be from a certain number of categories. Oh, I'm glad you exist in the world and that there are people <laughs> like you. Keeps Microsoft afloat as I make more and more Excel, Excel sheets. spreadsheets about what you're going to read this year. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Jonathan could be a two? There are some two qualities. I ultimately don't think he's a two. Uh, I think he would have been much more attentive to Arabella if he were to. He desires to be loved, but I'm not sure it's universally loved. He doesn't feel the need. He's amicable. He makes friends easy. He's really, he he's good in a crowd, but I don't know that I see him seeking people out. We see him seek Arabella, but when he goes to the peninsula, he, he's not trying to make friends. He doesn't try and do things. He does make friends because he understands that that's necessary for him to do because he's apart from the soldiers. And so he's looking for a way to be useful. I think if he were two, he would have been much more oriented towards making friends wherever he went. And he does. He really does make friends easily, but I don't think he's like yearning for that. I would agree with that. His presence in a group of people can feel like a two where people sort of gravitate towards him and he's lively and likable and like, as you said, makes friends easily. But I don't think he's a two. If he were a two when he's in the peninsula, it's clear that he's uncomfortable, that he's out of place, like he kind of expected to get there and for people to say, oh, the magician's here. Great. Here's uh, 
here's where you need to go. Let's send you to the right people. And he's not really receiving the welcome that he expected. And he is ostracized because he's not a soldier and he has to earn his place and prove that he has value. And he does that. But a two would be really, really upset about not being included. Mm. And not just not welcomed and esteemed, but not having a, a seat at the campfire. That's what would upset the two. And he's not especially bothered by that. He doesn't like it, but it's not eating at him that he's not immediately welcomed into this camaraderie or this brotherhood. I agree. Do you think he might be a three? No, he is not ambitious enough, especially when he's young. He's not particularly hardworking until he finds when he finds something he's interested in and he wants to grow as a magician. Yes. He puts work and effort into his magic. But as a person, he's not especially hardworking. He's not looking for success and direction and achievements. Well, he only puts himself into it so much as it interests him, even in the magic. So he he's doing all kinds of magic, but he really stops getting interested in what he calls surface level magic. He wants to go to the wild things. He wants to chase these things. And, and when he finds something, he just obsesses over it. Mm-hmm. And And... Yeah, that's not that's not three energy. Do you think he could be a four? If I were doing bad Enneagram work? Sure. I know you think he's... I'm teasing you. She told me that he thought he might be a four. So, um, no, I didn't. Didn't you? No. Where did I get that? I got that from somebody. Oh, well, whoever it is, I'm teasing you. I, I thought it was UK for some reason. No, I don't think he's a, a four. He doesn't do the push-pull re- with relationships. He doesn't seem to be striving or yearning for any sort of authenticity. Envy doesn't seem to be his deal. He just is who he is. I don't think he even thinks about it much other than he was concerned with thinking about it enough that everybody would consider marrying him. But beyond that, he just floats from one thing to another, just is a force into himself. He's pretty upbeat too. He doesn't have this sense that he feels like he's missing something in and of himself. Even when he is totally directionless and is kind of missing some important pieces of himself, at least from my my perspective, he doesn't feel that way. He comes off as a little broody at times. And I think that could lend itself to a, a four typing or a one typing. I don't, I don't know that that's him though. I really just don't think it is. He's definitely not a five. He has way too much energy. He is all over the place. He's not concerned with, I, I think he would be more concerned about not having access to all the books that he feels like he needs. He's a little ticked off about it, but it's not, He's ticked off because he wants to know what he doesn't know, not because he's trying to prepare for something that or keep himself safe. Well, he flies by the seat of his pants so much. He just like shows up like, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll make something up. It's great. And he wants to learn so that he can do Mm -hmm. fives learn because they really like to learn and they don't necessarily have to put that knowledge into any kind of practice. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do anything with what they learn in order to feel like they've accomplished what they set out to do. Whereas Jonathan, he has no interest in learning a spell he's never going to use. He wants to read something and then, okay, let's try it out. Let's see if this works. Do you think he's a six? I do not, though I do think he's in the head triad. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he doesn't seem afraid of the danger. He goes into the way to the King's Roads on a drunken dare. He just goes off and does stuff frequently, almost heedless of the danger. Not so much in a, I recognize the danger and I'm going to conquer it. 
you know, not a counterphobic six. He just doesn't care. He really doesn't. I really think he's a seven. I do too. He's playful. He's not good at keeping commitments, especially in the beginning, just sort of aimless and wandering from one task to another, but so incredibly likable. I mean, who doesn't like Jonathan Strange? Well, Norrell sometimes. <laughs> no, Norrell loves him. Norrell adores this guy. He I, does, I think Norrell he, is the only person he does like. He has this tension where he doesn't like the way he is, but he he's his friend. He likes him, but he scares him. Is yes. really what it is. Yes, that's a good that's a good thing to acknowledge. He does scare Norrell because he's impulsive, he's reckless, he acts before he thinks he doesn't consider all of the consequences. Now we see movement for him where he does realize that he played with things that he didn't understand and that there is danger in that and not just danger to himself, but consequences for all of England and the world. We also see where he's really creative and he thinks outside the box and that's something sevens are very good at for us as well. They're entrepreneurial, but they don't feel confined to the boxes that other people create. So when he realizes that people who are insane can hear and see the fairies, it's like, okay, so maybe I can just make myself a little bit mad and that's a viable solution. Like, Who would think about that and who would pursue it? But he does. And he's ultimately successful. Um, even in his worst, worst point of depression, he's still, he's still doing, he's still brilliant. Uh, we do also see a seven has a relationship with a five where he can study deeply and he can get engrossed in what he's doing. They share that line and can be overly focused. So a seven tends to be really scattered, but when a seven is integrating they move towards the good side of a five where they can be more focused and they can hold their attention on one thing and go deep in that one thing. And I think we see that with him. I agree wholeheartedly. I was right there with you. I, I felt like he was a seven from the beginning. Same. He's the character that I've been most confident in. Mm -hmm. I haven't been wavering. He's so present. And then once he's moved on, like he's forgotten, like that doesn't exist anymore. That, chapter where he goes to meet Arabella and he's supposed to meet her at the draperies. I think it is. And it doesn't show, doesn't show up and no one is surprised. <laughs> yeah. That feels like a, a typical seven and it's not even so a two might not show up because the thing that they were doing beforehand goes longer than they anticipate. And then they end up being really late because that's two's overcommit sevens just get distracted so they're like on their way to the drapery it's like oh hello person yeah i'll go do this totally other thing uh just kind of the difference mm -hmm. <laughs> there so i felt really good about strange but i could be persuaded in a couple different directions with Norrell. like i think i have a number but you might be able to change my mind here's my frustration with mr Norrell: the numbers that i think have no lines to each other <laughs> 
do you want to do a rundown or do you want to start with the numbers you think you could be? Okay. I, I say that there, there are some similarities to some of these numbers. Um, let's, let's do harmonics first because okay. I've been doing that with a number of these. I think it's a really good approach. I think he, he's not in the reactionary. I'll say that. Yeah. I think he might be more in the competency. Yeah. He's not a one. He has no qualms about crushing anyone and everyone that gets in his way. He is too selfish to be a one. He steals the book. Like the fact that he steals and destroys books as someone who places such value on books, that is a mortal sin for someone. You know, I mean, that that is an attack against the very thing that he holds precious, which feels worse. I think he values more books more than people. And so the fact that he essentially murders books is a high crime. Mm-hmm. It's true. I agree with you. I don't think he's a one. I sometimes, the thing that could be one-ish about him is that he does create lots of rules about magic and he wants to enforce those rules. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to create the, the court for judging magicians. He gives Strange all these rules and he makes himself the arbiter, the one who decides all the, what all the rules with magic ought to be. And he is really annoyed when anyone disagrees with him. Not like a one at all. Um, <laughs> but here's where we come to motivation and not action, because I think the motivation here is not a one's motivation. It's not to I be agree. good. It's not, it's not any of that. It's because he wants to be in control and because okay. he's, he's afraid of, well, maybe I'm talking myself into one of the numbers. He's afraid of losing out. He's afraid that someone else will do the thing that he wants to do. will get the recognition that he wants or that it'll get out of control. He's very afraid that it's going to get out of control. And so that's why he cracks down with rules and lists and all these things is because he's just trying to exert control over this magical world that is very much not controllable. It's marked by its wildness. I agree. So I will go ahead and put myself out there. I think he's a five and I think he's a five rather than a three for a few reasons. There is a subtype of a five that seeks recognition within their field. And I, I think that Norrell is seeking recognition. He wants to be not just a great English magician. He wants to be the English magician. And he does get jealous when Strange's reputation threatens his own or that he might be displaced in that. That does make him uncomfortable, which can look like a three. I can see where someone would type him as a three because of his ambition and his desire for recognition. But ultimately, what he cares about more than his own reputation is that English magic's reputation, that it is a respectable profession. He cares more about his subject or his area of expertise than himself. Now, he cares about himself a lot, but English magic is more important to him than the reputation of Gilbert Norrell. He is definitely doing repress. He would rather be home with a book than anywhere else. He does not navigate people or social situations. He does not understand relationships and how one climbs a social ladder. He has to have people in his life telling him to do that, how to do that. A three would not need that level of assistance in navigating the kind of social and political climate. He is very fearful. So I think I think that would put him in the fear triad, which is the head triad, the five, the six, the seventh space. I think I'm convinced by the five. He hoards. 
hoard there, books. I wanted to resist the five because it felt a little surface level with his hoarding. I thought, oh, you know, I, I don't want to get caught up in that uh, because that's that's surface level. That's not necessarily motivation. But I really think you're right. I think he he's got that subtype that leans towards excellence. It's what kept me on the line for the three. His envy kept me kept the four in the loop for me for a little bit. But his doing repression is so huge. The fact that he never writes a book, he never finishes it his articles, and he's sort of flabbergasted that Jonathan Strange can just get all this stuff done. Mm, yes. And even when you look at his home, fives are very protective of their space. Even before he's in like before they know people are coming to kill him. This is even when he's a York. There's a spell on his home that makes his house a maze for other people. He's so would, protective of his space and his library. If your husband could, would he make a spell that would create a labyrinth to his safe space? No, because then he would be constantly having to walk everybody through the labyrinth. <laughs> and that would be too much work with all of our, our little people. But if he could... <laughs> have a library that like our kids in particular don't go in and that he, or that he has a space that's quiet. It's without distraction. That's full of the things he's interested. And he had a corner for his books and a corner for his woodworking and a corner for his fountain pens and all the little things that are his things. Uh, yeah. He would for sure be up for that. I feel like the man cave was probably invented by an Enneagram five. It definitely was created by an Enneagram 5 who just needed a place for all of their stuff and to be left alone. To be left alone, yes. Yeah, I I have this frustration with Norrell because I think that he is an unhealthy 5. He's a 5 who has given into his personality and he has not had anyone in his life to push him to do more or be better. And he's, I think, has probably done this subconsciously, but with the measure of intentionality, because most of the people in his life are either his servants, his apprentice, or people who need him because they're trying to climb the ladder, you know, hang on to his coattails for notoriety. And so there is no one in his life that he sets up as his equal. He resists making Jonathan his equal, even when he knows that Jonathan is, because then nobody can challenge him in his way of being in the world. There's nobody to tell him I mean, Childermass is the closest to it who calls him on his BS. Like, no, you actually have to do something with your knowledge or you do actually need to go to this dinner and be polite and pleasant and have a conversation with someone about something other than your area of interest. And without that helper in his life, which could be a spouse, it could just be a friend who's an equal. He doesn't do what he doesn't want to do. I mean, grows in that. Whenever he gets trapped in the darkness with Strange. But even more than that, we see him moving towards that growth whenever Strange is going to leave. And there's that really touching scene where Mr. Norrell is saying, We don't, you don't have to be, if you don't want to be my pupil, we'll be equals. We'll share in everything. Yeah. If you want to see the books, I'll hold nothing back. We'll leave right now. We will go. Just please stay because. He knows he's losing his friend, the only person that he can actually talk to. And he's lonely. Mm -hmm. He is very lonely, but he know, he doesn't know how to ask for his emotional needs to be met. He doesn't. 
but it's funny that you know arabella sees through all of that in the book they she's when she's back with the gray steels i can't remember is this in the show where she says oh well he's with mr norrell see but the but that's his enemy and she says no not his enemy sure they're, they're in a quarrel mm-hmm. and it lasted longer than i thought it would but i had no doubt that they would be back together mm-hmm. well, there may the- not be a ton of action but it is a great book about friendship it is a good book about friendship and in the film adaptation when they think they're both gonna die i love when he's when norrell says to him you know you're gonna die before i am because you've been in here longer but i promise you i will do everything i can to get arabella free i loved that and then this is the part that had me crying when he's Jonathan is dying. He thinks Jonathan's dying. They're going to be sucked into the blackness or wherever. But and he holds him. And he tells him, "You're my friend, and I'm with you, and you're not alone." And and he says, "And I'm not afraid." And I just started weeping, and I sent Lance all these uh, gifts of like ugly crying. Doesn't happen in the book. It doesn't happen in the book. It's the best part. It's the best dang scene in the whole whole thing. And it wasn't in the book. It wasn't in the book. They they did try. Sorry, Mrs. Collins. And they never leave the library. They don't go to Lost Hope. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Jonathan Strange does the work to offer a way so that if it works, she'll be able to escape. And all we know is that he's working hard, that she, all we get is her running down, down the mirror to the gray steels. And it's uh, Stephen Black. Who does the work? So then they don't even get this goodbye where he puts her hand on the mirror and it's like, go without me. Oh man. It's not there. They get a do they do get a goodbye, but it's the last time that they see each other in at the when end of the book. The, when he's the, in the darkness. Yeah. That is so disappointing because I also loved that scene where he's like, go ahead and go without me. And she's like, Well, I don't want to go without you. And he's like, No, and then he puts her hand. So that actually reminded me of a scene in Outlander. <laughs> when he needs to send her back and she doesn't want to go back, but it's right before Kalada and he's pretty sure he's about to die. So he puts his hand, her hand on the stones to send her back. Like I thought him putting her hand on the mirror was just so selfless and redemptive and beautiful after he hadn't treasured her that he puts her first before himself. So that's all there. All, all the spirit of that is there it would have been difficult to try and show that in film. They needed to do something to show that that was happening. And so that is clearly why they made that decision. They okay. needed to show that in a very particular way. So that's why I'm like all the spirit of that, the, the, the emotional pieces there, it's just not in a climactic moment where he's helping her flee and they have that separation and things. It's just kind of, it's, it's distant. It's not in person. Um, and it's sort of a, I hope it worked. So there's that tension of like, he doesn't see it. Neither of them see. Neither of them know if the other's safe. But there's hope that that it, it's it's moving. So it's it's nice. It's it's a good thing. Well, I'm glad that we covered this this book slash film adaptation because I cheated and watched the BBC version. <laughs> there's no judgment here. No judgment. You made it pretty far into the book. It's a great story, and and it's well written. I mean, the sentences, the actual sentences are masterful. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just not for everybody. <laughs> it's just not for everybody. And that's okay. 
And that's okay. That's right. Well, we're changing gears a little bit for next week. Uh, as we move into February, which is Black History Month, we thought we would be really intentional about trying to incorporate more stories that feature people of color. And one of the most obvious that came to mind for people who also love superhero flicks is Black Panther. So next week, we're going to be talking about T'Challa, among others, uh, but we'll be covering Black Panther. So make sure you catch that on Disney Plus or wherever you like to watch your Marvel movies. And if you want to jump in with the uh, book club for February, Lance, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the book we are reading for February's book club is seven days in June. So definitely check that out. If you not are not already on Audible, you can help out the podcast. One of the great things you can do is you could pick this up in audiobook form. So just follow the link in the description or one of our other links. And that is an affiliate link. So if you have not signed up for Audible, you can sign up for one month free and you get a free audiobook and you get to keep it. So if I were to pick a book that I would just get for free. I haven't read seven days in June, but I imagine it's pretty darn good. So this would be one worth downloading. And the great thing about it is that even if it's 32 hours long and you have other things to do, I love audiobooks because I can keep doing other things. I, I keep my hands busy. You know, your husband's into woodworking. I do a little bit of wood carving. It's great. Just turn on Audible and I just let it run. I'm currently rereading the Wheel of Time series. And that is not a little series. That is a massive undertaking. And it has been nice to have a digital audiobook just sitting on my phone. And when I'm in the car or whenever I'm doing things, I just pop that on. And I take get taken into the world of Robert Jordan. I love it. Yeah, I've been listening to one of my new Enneagram books on Audible. So it is versatile. It's great for fiction and nonfiction alike. And you'll help out the podcast if you go ahead and go that direction using our link. Okay, this has been fantastic. It's time to return to the real world, leave behind the world of fairy. So that's all for me. And that's all for me.